It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. I am so excited to share with you the name for God's people that we're going to highlight on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. God refers to his people as children of Zion. That name is only found twice in the Bible, but there's such a depth of revelation associated with it. So get ready to take notes, get ready to walk into some areas of revelation maybe you've never walked into. This is going to be intense. Let me read the two scriptures that contain that name for God's people first. Psalms 149 verse 2 says, Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. And then Joel chapter 2 verse 23 says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, the King James Version says moderately, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And so this really relates to the time in which we're living, because I believe this is the time of the latter rain. And if the previous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church was referred to as being a moderate outpouring, according to Joel 2.23, then we are headed into something phenomenal. And God, I believe, is going to compensate for all the enemy's strategy against the church and against the human race as a whole, how many dark, diabolical things have been going on the last couple of years, but it's time for the children of Zion to be joyful in their king. Notice that both times that name is given to us in the word of God, it talks about rejoicing. It talks about happiness. It talks about praise. It talks about being connected with this heavenly king of kings and lord of lords. Now, the word Zion means fortress. It means a stronghold of defense, a citadel, the place where a king dwells. Those in covenant with the God of Abraham qualify as children of Zion because we have become a fortress of faith in the midst of a world full of doubt. We have become a fortress of joy in the midst of a world full of depression. We have become a fortress of hope in the middle of many millions of people that are filled with despair. And we have become a fortress of peace in a place of great anxiety and stress, this world, and all of the conflicts that go on here. See, the body of Christ as a whole globally is a fortress, a place of safety and preservation and defense that others can run to in order to find salvation and deliverance We are Zion. We are a fortress of strength. And the weak can come to us and find the strength that God has placed within us, and we can share it with them. What a powerful name. Think of yourself this way, that you are a fortress of faith 
in a world full of unbelief. The word Zion is such a rich biblical word. It really refers to seven different things. And in order to get a full appreciation of what it is to be children of Zion, you need to understand all the seven things that word applies to. Number one, Zion was initially a reference to the southeast ridge of Jerusalem. At some point, when you're digging into this revelation, you need to look at a map of Jerusalem and look at the southeast ridge where the city of David was initially, and that's what was known as Zion. Now, later on, both the southeast ridge and just to the north, the hill of Moriah, the mountain called Moriah, where the temple of Solomon was built, was referred to as Zion that whole area. And then Jerusalem as a whole became known as Zion. And because of that, the old covenant people who identified with Jerusalem were also called Zion. The name of the city, the name of the place of the temple, and the name of the place where the tabernacle of David was first erected was the name applied to the people who related to that as the most important central spot in their lives. They would gather to Jerusalem. They would gather to the temple three times a year to celebrate Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And so not only did they go to Zion, they were Zion. Zion was a fortress to them, but when they received the blessings of God in Zion, they became Zion to the world. They became a source of strength and revelation and insight and peace to others. Praise God. Now, jump over into the new covenant, and number five, the word Zion also refers to the new covenant, born-again, blood-washed children of God, and there's scripture to prove that. Number six, the word Zion also applies to a spiritual realm that we all ascend to when we come under the anointing in prayer, when we get in a worship service and we're lifted up, exalted to what the Bible calls the high and holy place where God dwells with those who are of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Well, when you come into the anointing, when you come into the presence of God, the picture the Bible uses for that experience is coming up the slopes of Mount Zion. And then number seven, the final way that that word is used in scripture is in reference to the eternal city of God, New Jerusalem, the capital city of a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth that will abide in the righteousness of God forever. I plan on being in that city, and I'm sure you do too. So not only are we going to Zion, we are Zion. We are that city. We are that bridal city because the city that came down from heaven is referred to as the bride, the lamb's wife. And so the inhabitants of that city inherit the name of that city. Isn't that rich? And I'll post all seven of those definitions on the notes in uh, cpnshows.com. And so if you want to go there and get that information and then assimilate it a little bit more fully later on, you certainly can. Now, 
I want to emphasize the word Zion not only refers to a city, but with the people who identify with that city. It's a spiritual place, but it's also the people who occupy that place. It's so much a part of who we are that God's people are actually referred to not only as children of Zion, but we are referred to simply as Zion in Isaiah 51, verse 16. God said, I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. And I believe that's a messianic prophecy where the father is talking about how he had put his message, the gospel, in the mouth of the son. And it was all about bringing forth a new creation, planting the heavens, laying the foundation of the earth, and saying to Zion, you are my people. So this covers a lot of territory. Now, what was Zion originally? Before all of these things took place, it was the last stronghold of the enemy in the land of promise. All the other tribes had been conquered except for the Jebusites. And David was the one used of God to conquer the Jebusites and secure that territory for the people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it was a stronghold and it became a throne city of King David. So a stronghold of the enemy became a place occupied by the king. He enthroned himself there. Hmm. If you and I are referred to as Zion, then we've got to remember one day way back in the past, and for some of us, it's way back in the past, and for others, it may be just a few weeks or months ago, But at one point, we were a stronghold of the enemy. The enemy had hidden behind the walls of our lives and occupied our thoughts and our emotions and contaminated our souls. But then the son of David, and incidentally, the name David means beloved. And so the son of David, the beloved son of God, came in and routed the enemy and turned the stronghold of sin, the stronghold of satanic powers, into a throne and a dwelling place for the king of kings to reign in and to reign from. Two things were on Mount Zion. After David secured that territory, first he erected a tent to house the Ark of the Covenant, which was very significant because the tabernacle of Moses was outside of Jerusalem and the rituals that were associated with the tabernacles of Moses still went on there. The constant daily continual shedding of blood, animal sacrificed after animal sacrifice, the consciousness of sin that always took place at the tabernacle of Moses. But when David erected a a tabernacle for the ark, when it was brought back from Philistine bondage, when he erected that tabernacle, he did it differently. There was no separating veil between the people and the holy place, no separating veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. The ark was right in the middle of the tabernacle. 
And the priests ministered before the ark all the time. All of the Levitical priests ministered before the ark. And I can imagine what it must have been like for the glory of God to be radiating through that tent. And when you walked up Mount Zion, where the praise was going on, you could hear the shouting of the priests and you could see them dancing in the spirit. And it was ecstatic, intense praise. See, David even created instruments by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that they could worship God more effectively. So there were many instrument players, harp players, and shofar players, and trumpet players that were constantly offering worship to God. It was a 24-7 worship that was going on on Mount Zion. David even appointed some priests that had no other role except to constantly thank God They had what was called the ministry of thanksgiving, reminding God of how thankful they were over all that he had done for them. Wow, that's that's really intense. And if David had people set up there, priests, commissioned to thank God constantly because he knew how important that was to provide an atmosphere of jubilance and victory in God, then we need to learn from that. They were not born again yet. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit yet. And yet he was a man before his time. He understood these principles of worship and adoration and how important it was. David also set up his throne on Mount Zion. So you had the glory of God in the tabernacle of David where the ark was, and you had the throne of the king where you could come and present your petitions and he would judge on different matters going on among the people of Israel. I think that's significant because if we, in a spiritual sense, ascend up the slopes of Mount Zion, we are headed to the throne of the king and we're headed into the glory of God. We're ascending to a place of authority and we're ascending to a place of intimacy with the creator. Isn't that wonderful? I'm sure the worship there was like heaven on earth. It was really like a taste of the celestial world. And so Zion really has three levels of revelation. Natural, it was actually a natural place where the tabernacle of David was set up. Spiritual, it represents a place of elevation spiritually that we ascend to in prayer. And eternal, because it represents the city that we're all headed toward. In fact, the Bible said, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we're all headed for that city. That's the pilgrimage we're on. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, the old song goes. See, we're all on a pilgrimage to that holy city. Now let me show you the scripture in the New Testament that really builds this revelation to a peak is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. And this is where the writer of Hebrews, which I believe to be Paul, compared the Old Testament with the New Testament, the Old Covenant with the New Covenant by relating those two things to Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, way of doing things was Mount Sinai. The New Covenant, the New Testament way of doing things was Mount Zion. Let me read it to you now. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire 
and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. And they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion. You haven't come to Mount Sinai, the mountain that burned with fire and smoke billowed up into the atmosphere and blotted out the light of the sun, and the ground shook, and the thunderclap of God's voice struck terror in the hearts of the people because they did not believe they could live up to the moral parameters that he demanded of them. And the curse that would follow disobedience was terrible. You haven't come to that mountain called Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. There's a lot of rich, rich revelation in that verse. And I'm not going to go into it in great depth, but I want you to see that everyone who comes up on Mount Zion is referred to as the general assembly and church of the firstborn. One translation of that passage says, we are the church in which every member is considered to be a firstborn son. You see, there's no big eyes and no little use. The ground is level at the cross. And as far as God's concerned, you're all his favorite. You're all like firstborn sons with a double portion inheritance. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren, and he had the double portion inheritance that traditionally was always given to the firstborn. He was the word made flesh and had the spirit without measure. But you've been given a double portion. You've been begotten of the word and born of the spirit. You have the fullness of the word inside of you and the fullness of the spirit inside of you. You're part of the church of the firstborn. That's intense. And you've come to the spirits of just men made perfect. See, Mount Sinai proved the imperfection of the people, but the blood of Jesus made possible the perfecting of the people. That's what it's all about. In an ultimate sense, we live in an imperfect world. We've had imperfect lives, and we've got a horribly imperfect track record behind us, and there's no way we could ever qualify for heaven, but our spirits have been made perfect by the washing of the blood of Jesus. In fact, God's not only cleansed us, the Bible said he gave us a new spirit that was created in righteousness and true holiness. No wonder that's the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. I believe Abel's blood cried out for mercy. That's why capital punishment was not rendered. In Cain's situation, God mercifully put a mark on him lest anyone kill him. So Abel must have had such a heart that he cried out for mercy 
for his brother as his brother was killing him. Imagine that. But the blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel because his blood cries out not only for mercy, not only for grace, but for transformation in our lives. No wonder, let's go back to the original scripture, let Israel rejoice in their maker. And the word rejoice means to re-experience the joy all over again, or it can mean to return to the source of your joy. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. That's God's name for you, and that's a revelation that will carry you the rest of your life until you get to that city that comes down out of heaven from God called Zion. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.